Good evening, Dr. Dan Guerra here from Authentic Biochemistry Studios. Today is the 22nd of January, 2022. Today, I'm going to start a new topic, and it's going to be anabolism. Anabolism is biosynthesis from simple starting organic material to more complex. So it is the antithesis of catabolism, which is breakdown. Catabolic processes that are biochemical generate energy, typically in the form of the synthesis of ATP. Anabolic pathways that synthesize, oh, for example, fatty acids or cholesterol or polypeptides or nucleic acids, those kind of biosynthetic, that is, anabolic pathways require energy. And sometimes they use directly ATP to drive reactions against an uphill energy gradient. But often biosynthesis has to do with a process of reduction, which means pumping electrons into the substrate. And in so doing, amplifying the ability for the products to be involved in yet more subsequent reactions because of their reactivity being enhanced and thus coupling reactions and um, such syntheses that will allow for condensations can be more readily available. So that is we talked a lot in the past several lectures, not recently, but over the last uh, summer and fall, and also all the way up really till Christmas about various metabolic pathways utilizing the reducing equivalent of NADPH. That's nicotinamide, adenine, dinucleotide, phosphate reduced form. So we're going to talk a lot about NADPH. And I think what I'm going to use um, such a surprise uh, for one of my examples for an anabolic pathway is de novo fatty acid synthesis. So if you'll allow me, that's how we're going to start our arc of discussions on anabolism. And actually within that, I'll be able to talk about one of my favorite enzymes, which is acetylcholecarboxylase. So let me remind you that biosynthesis, anabolism that is, and catabolism are separated. Not only are they separated because they have different nested pathways, they're also often separated within the cell. And by that, I mean anabolic pathways can be, for example, in a oh, cytoplasmic location, whereas catabolic pathways, for example, could occur within the mitosol of the mitochondria, okay? So you get the idea that there is going to be then a division of labor, I like to call it. And by that, I mean that within the cell, you can have various locations that are going to allow for um, a biosynthetic pathway versus a degradative pathway.
Biosynthetic is anabolic, degradative is catabolic. Remember that, okay? All right, so let's just get into this discussion full on. So, fatty acid synthesis will occur in the cytoplasm, and it involves utilizing components from the mitochondrion. One particular component I'm going to talk about is citric acid. So, citric acid, remember, is generated from the condensation of acetyl-CoA, and oxaloacetic acid. So citrate's moving through the TCA cycle. And the next reaction is going to be a dehydrogenase. Now, dehydrogenases will generate NADH, H+. So that's a product of the reaction, as well as whatever the organic compound which, so if NAD gets reduced, the pathway will allow for the other substrate to be oxidized. This is precisely what happens in the tricarboxylic acid cycle. And we'll talk a lot more about that later, but right now that's all we need to say. So if NADH is high within the mitochondrion, where the TCA cycle is occurring, TCA cycle is also known as the Krebs cycle, remember, Um uh, what will happen is the dehydrogenase will not be able to catalyze the subsequent reaction that's going to be downstream from there. And that would drive the TCA cycle. Okay. And so if NADH builds up and there's plenty of reasons why it could, such as the slow moving of the electron transport chain, or maybe there's beta oxidation of fatty acids going on, not usually, when you're getting into a biosynthetic uh, system, but it can happen as there is a transition from catabolism to anabolism. I'm sure you can you can imagine that. At any rate, the citric acid will build up in the mitochondrion if there's an adequate amount of NADH that will inhibit the dehydrogenase, the alter dehydrogenase of the TCA cycle, that is. And what will happen is citrate will leave the mitochondrion and it will go into the cytoplasm. And as it enters the cytoplasm, an enzyme called ATP citrate lyase will regenerate, now cytoplasmically, acetyl-CoA and oxaloacetic acid. Now, the acetyl-CoA will then enter into fatty acid synthesis. This is an anabolic pathway, our example for part one of anabolism. Okay. So the first enzyme that comes up during fatty acid uh, biosynthesis is the all-important enzyme. One of my favorite, as I said, acetylcarboxylase. We're going to talk a lot about it later, but right now all I will say is that acetylcarboxylase is actually activated by an insulin-dependent dephosphorylation. Now, why would that happen? Well, insulin is going to be circulating and therefore can bind to its receptor at, in the hepatic, on the hepatocyte. And when it does so, it can induce a series of uh, signal transduction cascades. One of them would be to allow for the conversion of storage glucose in the form of either, there'll be some glycogen made, of course, 
but glucose that's building up in the hepatocyte, which are the cells of the liver, rather than have high levels of free glucose, that glucose is going to be converted to um, via glycolysis and then the TCA cycle through citrate to fatty acid. So I mentioned many times that uh, mammals, particularly humans, we're just talking about human biochemistry here. Humans are oligenous organisms. That is, we put on depot fat. We put on depot fat because it's the most reduced form of carbon that we can store. Plus, because it's triacylglycerol we store in adipocytes in the depot fat, and because that is completely neutral lipid with no charge, you do not require any hydration of that molecule so that it can be later on used for energy, for example, via lipase and via hormone-sensitive lipase in the specific. So those fatty acids can then be removed from the adipose, translocated through circulation back to the liver for ultimately beta-oxidation, which is the catabolic pathway for fatty acids. But we're talking about anabolism. So insulin triggers a response in most cells that is an anabolic induction. And that anabolic induction will therefore allow for all the anabolic pathways to be tuned up. One of them is fatty acid synthesis. And one of the locations is in the liver. Okay. So now you get what's going on. All right. So insulin will allow for a certain um, dephosphorylation enzyme to be activated because of its signaling in the hepatocyte. And that dephosphorylation will occur on multiple enzymes, and one of them is acetylcarboxylase. Now, acetylcarboxylase catalyzes the reaction of acetyl-CoA plus bicarbonate. Remember, that's dissolved CO2. We talked about that whole system before. Um, it will allow acetyl-CoA and bicarbonate to form malonyl-CoA, which is a three-carbon high-energy thioester. Malonyl-CoA is going to be the true substrate for almost all de novo fatty acid synthesis. So that means that the acetylcarboxylase, that enzyme, is actually at the gateway for using carbon to make lipid. And it does so by this reaction, ACCase, acetylcarboxylase. So that's why insulin, which is, of course, an endocrine hormone, is going to have such a powerful influence over this pathway because it will signal the well-fed state. And so insulin is secreted from the beta cells of the pancreas as it senses not just glucose, but also various types of lipids in those beta cells. And that will induce the transcription, translation, and secretion of insulin from the pancreas, go into circulation, and some of that insulin will bind to a receptor back at the hepatocyte and will cause this dephosphorylation of acetylcarboxylase, so fatty acids are now, that carboxylase can also be inhibited, and it can be inhibited by a phosphorylation, right? A kinase, that is. So insulin-dependent dephosphorylation is carried out by a phosphatase, whereas 
cyclic AMP-dependent phosphorylation is a kinase. Remember, we talked about these kinases, right? And I'll give you a lot more detail of the, which kinases we're talking about, which phosphates we're talking about. That's all another chapter in our probably six, seven, eight episode journey into anabolism. So as you might guess, if cyclic is activated by a phosphatase, which is insulin de uh, dependent, then guess what? There is a cyclic AMP dependent kinase, which is actually triggered by glucagon, which is the hormone that can be also synthesized and secreted from the pancreas. When glucose is needed for, and then the, the liver will then accommodate that by carrying out gluconeogenesis. Okay, so you do get a synthesis of glucose from non-carbohydrate precursors, but in order to have the energy to drive gluconeogenesis, you need the beta oxidation of the fatty acids, and that's where your catabolism comes in. Now, I know that's already a little bit confusing, but it won't be because your professor here will explain it to you in crystal detail, right? Just right now, I want you to understand silicobox is basically the gatekeeper or rate-limiting, we used to call rate-limiting reaction for de novo fatty acid synthesis. Now, even though acetylcarcoboxylase isn't part of the polymer that is the polyprotein known as fatty acid synthase, okay? That's all the reactions of fatty acid synthesis all found on one huge polypeptide, okay? And I will explain all about fatty acid synthase and its organization at the genetic level, transcriptional level, protein level, and of course, activation and inhibition when we get into fatty acid synthesis itself. Right now, we're still back at the beginning here. At any rate, melanocoa, real quickly, will go through fatty acid synthesis and make palmitic acid. That same FAS, fatty acid synthase, has a thioesterase activity, which will release palmitic acid at C, 16 colon O, 16 carbons, no double bonds. It's the most common product of de novo fatty acid synthesis. But that palmitate can then enter into the smooth endoplasmic reticulum and can be further elongated to sterate. And sterate can be desaturated to oleate. Remember, that's the fatty acid with one double bond right at the 9, 10 position in the middle of it. So that's 18 colon 1 delta 9. Remember, we talked about that in the uh, video lecture recently. At any rate, so you got palmitate to sterate to oleate. It's all still biosynthesis. And ultimately, you make triacylglycerol by adding fatty acids to the hydroxyl groups, one, then two, then three of the three carbons of glycerol, right? Once triacylglycerol is synthesized in the liver, remember this is all an anabolic pathway, it can leave the liver by being loaded onto a very low density lipoprotein or VLDL. The VLDL then will traffic the triacylglycerol many places, but one of them, to make it simple for now, is the adipocyte in the depot fat, right? The adipose tissue. And it will then deliver that triacylglycerol to the adipocyte. And it will then allow for the expansion of the adipose tissue. So rather than getting cell division of the adipocytes after they're synthesized, 
you just get an increase in their size by increasing the amount of tricyclic aerobic store. Right? And that's what the whole idea of gaining weight is when you gain fat tissue, right? That's how it occurs. Now, the rest of what I could tell you right now has to do with the catabolic system. I'm going to leave that off. Why am I leaving it off? Because we're not talking about catabolism. So let's go to the next discussion. So biosynthesis is occurring in the cytoplasm, and it requires acyl carrier protein, and it also requires NADPH, which is going to be an electron donor. Okay. And the fatty acid synthase pathway is going to use, first of all, some of that acetate to make acetyl ACP, because you're going to make a thioester from a coenzyme to a protein, which has the protein ACP has the same prosthetic group as coenzyme A does. That's called the phosphopantothiene. Okay. That comes from the, uh, in humans, that comes from taking in the diet pantothenic acid. Right? And then synthesizing phosphopantothene. Phosphopantothene then incorporated into coenzyme A. Coenzyme A is actually an adenylate. It's a nucleotide. The A stands for adenosine. Okay. Now, that same phosphopantothene prosthetic group can be transferred from coenzyme A to a protein. And that pro- a serine residue on a protein, the name of that protein is part of it's called acyl carrier protein, and it's part of the FAS. It's part of the fatty acid synthesis. Okay? So now you get the whole idea of what we're talking about. Now, that whole thing is occurring in the cytoplasm. Now, the catabolic pathway for fatty acids occurs in the mitochondria, and that takes a preformed fatty acid, and it oxidizes the fatty acid. And here, the electron acceptor, because you're driving electrons away when you oxidize, is flavin adenine dinucleotide and nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. And what you do when you do the beta oxidation of the mitochondrion is you shorten the fatty acid two carbons each time. That's the limit oxidation, and that's the way it proceeds in the hepatocyte. In fact, all fatty acid beta oxidation occurs pretty much the same way. There's a little bit of alteration when you have double bonds, and we'll talk about that sometime. But again, we're not talking catabolism, we're talking anabolism. So let me stick with that principal discussion. And what's going to happen is you're going to have a charging of the acyl carrier protein, and then you're going to have a series of reactions where you're going to use malonyl co First of all, malonyl-CoA will lose the coenzyme A and will lose the carbon dioxide that you just fixed with acetylcarcaboxylase. And that will drive the synthesis of beta-ketoacyl ACP. And then NADPH will pump electrons into the keto function to make a D-beta-hydroxyacyl group. Now it's 3-D-hydroxyacyl ACP. Okay, it's a stereochemistry, the D. Then you're going to remove water from that and you're going to make an ene, so you'll have enoel ACP, okay? And then ultimately, you're going to reduce it one more time with another molecule of NADPH. Once again, the NADPH second is electron donor, and now you're going to have the fully reduced fatty acyl ACP, CN, carbon sub 
script N plus two. And the two things you just added were two carbons at the level of oxidation of acetate, but now completely reduced, okay, to an acyl group, right, to a long chain hydrocarbon. So that is the de novo pathway in the, uh, uh, that, that's the easiest way to describe it. There's much more detail that we're going to do. Now, this phosphopantothene prosthetic group, it has pantothenic acid, but it also has a cystamine. And that cystamine is where the um, business end of the phosphopantothene prosthetic group is. And remember, that's on coenzyme A, and it's also on acyl carrier protein. Now, acyl carrier protein, you're binding it to the hydroxyl group on a serine residue. Remember, that's the R group for the amino acid serine. And that serine residue is highly conserved with all ACPs. And so you're going to have an acyl carrier protein with a specific serine residue, and you're going to make a phosphate ester with that. So that's why it's a phosphopantothiene. The thiene is, is introducing you to terminology that lets you know that there's a thiol group there, and that thiol group is at the level of an SH, okay? So it's a sulfhydryl group, an SH group. And that's the business end of ACP because you're going to make thioesters. And when you make the thioesters, that gives you a high energy group potential so you can carry out fatty acid synthesis or reductive biosynthesis. That is reductive anabolism, you see. Okay. And just keep in mind that same prosthetic group is also in coenzyme A. The only difference is you don't have an acyl carrier protein there with its serine hydroxyl group and all that, now make, making that phosphate ester with the phosphopentathene. But you have a, an adenosine residue, right? An adenosine residue, which is, of course, a purine nucleotide. It's the same adenosine you get in DNA, RNA, and, of course, ATP, right? That's a ribonucleotide, Aden uh, adenosine triphosphate. Okay, so I know that was a lot to say, but you guys are in authentic biochemistry. You like it coming at you in the authentic and normal rate. I don't think I'm talking any faster than I need to. All right. So. The acetylcholine from the mitochondria cytosol then, remember, came from citrate. And so that citrate, it's called a citrate cleavage reaction. And so let's back up for a second here. Where does the carbon come from? Well, it can come from a lot of sources, but let's say it's coming from glucose. Remember that glucose goes through a pathway again in the cytoplasm called glycolysis. We talked about it at great length many times over the years that you've been listening to my podcast or watching my videos, or if any of you have had the opportunity to see me in open lecture hall, you'll know all about glycolysis. Or if you've heard it from other biochemists, you know the pathway. At any rate, glycolysis, one of the end products is going to be pyruvic acid. And pyruvic acid can enter from a cytoplasm to the mitochondrion. And as it enters the mitochondrion, citrate leaves. Okay. So this is an antiport system where it goes through a protein through the mitochondrial membrane, goes from the, through the outer membrane to the inner membrane, all the way into the mitosol or the matrix of the mitochondrion. Once the pyruvate's there, it meets up with that all-important enzyme called pyruvate, uh, 
pyruvate carboxylase, as well as that all-important enzyme, pyruvate dehydrogenase. So pyruvate carboxylase makes the four-carbon compound known as oxaloacetic acid. And of course, pyruvate dehydrogenase, PDH, makes acetyl-CoA. Now you condense, as I said before, OAA and acetyl-CoA via an enzyme called citrate synthase to make citrate. So citrate's going to leave the mitochondria, remember the buildup of NADH, okay, and FADH2 as well. And once it enters the cytoplasm now, where glycolysis generated the pyruvate and continues to generate the pyruvate, remember this is an event ontology, not a substantology. This is constantly happening at the same time. Glycolysis, fatty acid synthesis, glycolysis, fatty acid synthesis, okay? If you're using glucose as the primary source of carbon, which you often do in the human system. Citrate then meets up with the ATP citrate lyase, which is also known as the cleavage enzyme. And that requires extra hydrolysis of ATP. That's why it's called ATP citrate lyase. And then you reform cytosolically acetyl-CoA and OAA. Okay? Now you pick up that coenzyme A in the cytoplasm. Okay? I want you to understand that CoA does not get transferred across membranes. It's, it has the wrong kind of structure because it will make very small micelles. Remember when we talked in the video lecture, we were talking about the different kinds of lipid structures, different lipid morphologies. And one of them are those very small spherical micellar structures. Well, coenzyme A has a very low um, CMC, okay? That the concentration is necessary to make a micelle, okay? And... Because of that, it, it, it's always in metabolic play. It's in metabolic play because it has a thioester, prosthetic group. So anyway, citrates cleaved. ATP is used to, hydro, uh, to uh, carry out, uh, to, to provide the energy to carry out the reaction. You make acetyl-CoA as one product and the other one's OAA. Now the OAA, just to let you know what happens to it, it can be converted to malic acid, malate that is, via malate dehydrogenase, a cytoplasmic form of the enzyme, because of course there's one in the TCA cycle of the mitochondria. Now that malate dehydrogenase will go from OAA to malate, and it will take NADH and convert it to NAD. So the reduced form to the oxidase. Now why is that important? Because that NAD is necessary for glycolysis to function. Remember? Yes, of course. So glycerol.3-phosphate dehydrogenase needs NAD, the oxidized form. And it makes NADH, glycolysis makes NADH. So the NADH pumps its electrons uh, into OAA to make malate. Malate then can be converted to pyruvate, just like glycolysis can make pyruvate, so can malate. Okay, no big deal. And that enzyme is called malic enzyme, M-A-L-I-C. And it actually uses NADP oxidized form to make NADPH. Ah, so there's one source of NADPH for reductive biosynthesis, aka anabolism, and in specific nature here, fatty acid synthesis. That's one source of the reducing power, malate to pyruvate via the malic enzyme. Now that's your decarboxylating enzyme, just so you keep your records straight. So the ATPH generated from the malic enzyme in the cytoplasm will be used for de novo fatty acid synthesis. Okay? And of course, the carbon source will be acetyl-CoA. 
and the acetylcholine to malonylcholine, and on we go. Like the, I told you the real rough outline of fatty acid synthase. Don't worry, you'll get all the details. Because even though hopefully you already know all about fatty acid synthesis and fatty acid oxidation, I'm going to tell it to you again because I really like lecturing it. And I kind of doubt it's you're walking around when you take a hike up the mountain, you're thinking about all the different metabolic steps to make a fatty acid from malate uh, uh, or say from pyruvate or say from citrate directly to say something like one oleoleal, two palmitoyl, three steroyl, triacylglycerol, right? Maybe some of you do. I know I do, but it's because I'm a fatty acid lipid biochemist and, you know, half crazy anyways, because I'm taking those walks all the time. All right. So let's go to the next slide. Now let's talk in a little bit more detail about the carboxylase. Yes, we should probably do that. Then plus it's an A letter. So we're talking anabolism. But remember, I did kind of tell you that we might smuggle in some oh, enzymatic uh, systems that use the letter A. And I even told you at the very beginning of this arc of lectures, way back at the beginning of the year, uh, which was now, what, uh, 22 days ago. I mean, gosh, we're already well into this year. That one of the enzymes I might uh, smuggle in is acetylcocoboxylase. So here it is. Amazingly, it drops right in place for anabolism. So acetylcholine reacts with bicarbonate and ATP to make this malonyl-CoA. It's a three-carbon compound plus water plus ADP plus PI. So that is basically the reaction. Of course, there's a lot more to it than that. In fact, the enzyme itself binds to, it has a prosthetic group, and it binds to a really important cofactor. So cofactors, well, for example, coenzyme A is a cofactor. Or if you're really